Today's scripture reading is found in 1 Peter 3, 18 through 22. I'll be reading from the NIV. Hear the word of the Lord. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And thank you, Mike. Thank you, worship team, for leading us this morning. Again, such a wonderful time of praise together. Good morning, Trinity Church. So good to see you. Thank you for being here and participating in this. And if you noticed as we were singing through those songs, just the focus on the death and the resurrection and the exaltation of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the focus of our passage this morning, too. So it's wonderful to be able to have that focus together. So, so glad that we've come together in this place. I know we've got some people downstairs in the fellowship hall as well. I would ask them to yell so we could hear them from the floor, but that might be a little bit difficult. So, and those of you that are watching online, thanks for joining us. Definitely can't hear you even if you yell. So, uh, but we're glad that you're part of this worship service and this time together. And uh, so let's just pause for a moment. Let's ask God to unite our hearts. We sang that blessing, right? The praise God from whom all blessings flow. And so that's our focus this morning, the blessings that we have because of the Lord Jesus Christ and his place in our lives. So let's pray to him. Our Lord Jesus, we thank you for drawing us together. Thank you for this time in prayer and in praise and, and in fellowship together. And now we thank you for this time in your word that we are about to enter into Lord, we ask that you would speak to us through your word and may it uh, con convict us and, and challenge us and move us and, and do that work in us that we desperately need this morning. And I pray that we would be attentive to you, that we would listen, and, and our focus, Lord Jesus, would be on you. You are our Savior, our Lord, the one who loved us so much that you came and gave your life for us. So as we sang a moment ago, how could we do anything but give our lives back to you and give our attention to you in the next few moments? So help us to hear, Lord Jesus, from you. And I pray, Lord, that you would guard my words, help me to accurately, rightly communicate your truth, knowing that it must be the power of your Holy Spirit and the power of your living word to do that work in us, to change us and transform us and make us more into the image of Jesus Christ. So that's our prayer this morning. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Some of you men of Trinity will remember last fall when we had our men's retreat. We went to a camp out in LJ and had a great time of in the, in the Word and fellowship and eating together and, and uh, just a wonderful weekend together. 
I don't know if we're going to be able to do that again this, this fall or not. I hope in some form we're able to get back together as the men of Trinity. But um, one of the things that we did that Saturday afternoon of that weekend was a high ropes course. I couldn't find any picture of this. I didn't, have a, I didn't have my phone with me on this, so I wasn't taking pictures. And I don't think any of us on the ropes course were because you're up 30 or 40 feet in the air and you're walking through this, uh, this kind of these contraptions to walk across. It's, it's almost like a bridge built like by kindergartners because it's, it's ropes and boards and stuff kind of every which way and you're supposed to go across it way up high in the air. Of course, you're... you're, you're tied in, you know, you're clamped in and you've got a harness on, but there's that, you know, of course, when you're around other men, your friends, you don't want to be the one who falls and is left dangling there by your harness. So, so you know, take this seriously. Now, I just happened to be near the end of the row of, of guys going on this apparatus, strategically placed there so other people would go ahead of me. And as, as we went up, and you're kind of in between those crossings, I could look ahead and see the other guys that were crossing and had done some of those pieces ahead of me, which was a great place to be, I discovered, because I could look at that, I could watch, and I could kind of see what they were doing or not doing, and and I could say, hey, if they could make it, I should be able to make it. If they can do it, I can do it. So that gave me some more confidence. And then, then I got to the top where you could see over the final platform the highest point on the high ropes course, and from there, once you finished, you'd get on a zip cord and zip line and all the way down across the lake and back down to the ground way on the other side, which looked to me like great fun. I mean, that was worth it all just to get to that zip line for the ride down. In a sense, Peter is doing that for us this morning. He's giving us a glimpse of Jesus who has already crossed the high ropes course. He's already gone the way. And for us to look at him and say, Jesus shown us. He's shown us the way. And to see at the end the glory of that zip line. Jesus has shown us the way. And so in our passage this morning, we're going to see this example of Jesus Christ who's shown us how to endure the difficulties of our lives, even in following Him. So what we've been talking about, what Peter has been teaching us in this passage, the difficulties of of injustice, the difficulties of suffering, the difficulties of going through things, even when we're doing right and we're treated wrong, because it happened to Jesus. So He's shown us what awaits at the other end. Last week we saw Peter's call to us to be prepared to suffer for for doing good. It was basically the sense that it's going to come, it's going to happen. If you are committed to following Jesus, there will will come times in your life when others will ridicule ridicule you for your faith. And he's challenging us to be ready to give the reason for our hope and to do it with gentleness and respect. You don't see a lot of that in our day and age. We as believers need to be different, even when we're challenged, even when we are attacked, that we respond with gentleness and respect. That was what Peter was telling us in our passage last week. So when he comes to the end of chapter 3, where we are this week, he says, now look at Jesus, the suffering Savior. If you want an example of what I'm talking about, Peter says, look at Jesus. So that's our title for this morning, the suffering Savior, this 
This view of Jesus and what He's done for us and the right response to unjust suffering. Because if we're going to give a reason for our hope, then we better know and understand our living hope, who is Jesus Himself. We better be able to explain to other people who He is and what He's done for us. So that's what Peter talks about in our passage. So turn, please, if you're not there already, 1 Peter chapter 3, grab your Bible, electronic device, your phone, whatever you want to use, follow along right at the end, those last verses of chapter 3. And we saw last week in verse 14 that Peter says that sometimes we suffer for doing good, but when we do, it's a blessing. And we talked about how could that possibly be a blessing, Peter? And he explains it here. He shows us the blessings that we have only because of Jesus. So there are four that we're going to look at in these last few verses. The first is the blessing of the cross. Verse 18, the blessing of the cross. So Peter ta- starts off our passage today. He says, for Christ also suffered. This is also suffered because he's just been talking about our suffering. He's saying, now don't forget, Jesus also suffered. And that's why he points us to him. He says, remember the reason for his suffering and learn the value and purpose of your own suffering by looking at Jesus. So he's building on these thoughts from verse 17 where he said, it's, it's better to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Then he looks at Jesus and said, certainly here's an example of one who suffered for doing what was good, what was right. Jesus, who was without sin, who was completely innocent, his only suffering, his suffering was only for what he did for us, the love that he showed, the good that he did. And his suffering was all the way to death. So I want to take a few minutes to focus on verse 18. I think this is one of the richest summaries of Christ's work on the cross. In just a few phrases, Peter describes for us all that is incorporated in the cross. So in each case, I want to give you a theological term, but then I want to give you the phrase from the verse that applies to that and explain it for just, just very briefly. The first is the word atonement. The word atonement, and it's the first phrase of the verse, verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins. He paid the penalty for sin by His sacrifice on the cross. Now, so for the word atonement, maybe you remember the Old Testament, the day of atonement for the Jews was that one day a year when the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, the most holy place, the only time anybody ever went in And the high priest would offer that sacrifice for the sins of the nation on the Day of Atonement, the sacrifice atoning for their sin. But when Jesus died, He became the final perfect sacrifice. And no other sacrifices have been needed since Jesus gave Himself as the final sacrifice for sin. The next word is substitution. And that's where Peter goes in the next phrase, the righteous for the unrighteous. Jesus, the sinless, righteous Son of God, took the place of sinful, unrighteous human beings like you and like me. It was in that new song that we learned today. The just one dying for the unjust. That's the substitution. He took our place. We deserve death because of our sin. Jesus took our place on the cross. Third word is reconciliation, because Peter next says, to bring you to God. 
So he atoned for our sins. He took our place, and he made a way for us to be restored in our relationship to God. That reconciliation, a personal, eternal relationship with God, possible only because of Jesus. He made that peace. He restored us, made it possible for us to be restored to our creator. And then the last key word is is resurrection. Because Peter then says at the end of verse 18, he was put to death in the body. So there Peter is affirming the physical death of Jesus. That he didn't just swoon, he didn't just pass out and, and just kind of survive the cross. No, he died physically on that cross. But then Peter says also but he was made alive in the spirit. Now here the NIV capitalizes spirit as we would think the Holy Spirit. But I really think this should be a small s and other versions like the ESV use the small s spirit because I think Peter here is contrasting Jesus' body which died and his spirit which was made alive by God. Now, certainly the Holy Spirit was a part of that resurrection, part of the power God used to resurrect Jesus from the dead. But here, Peter is talking about, I think, the Spirit of Jesus. So remember, kind of get a sense of what Peter's saying here. Remember the final statements of Jesus on the cross. He's hanging on the cross, and one of the things he says is, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the best we can understand in that moment, as Jesus is taking the sin of the world on himself, he is separated from the Father because of that sin. And in that separation, he is experiencing spiritual death. That's what separation from the Father is. Jesus took that on for our sake. But then remember Jesus also says, just before he dies, he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. So his spirit is made alive, taken back to the Father. So that Jesus died physically, but his spirit's revitalized by God even after that separation. And in that sense, is what Peter says, the Father made him alive again. So what does this mean for us? Those of us who put our faith in Jesus Christ, this means, and just kind of break this down, these four statements again, that our sin debt is paid, that we are covered by the righteousness of Jesus who took our place, that we've been reconciled, made right with God, and that our spirits now have the opportunity to live forever in God's presence because Jesus came alive too. And all this is packed into this one verse, verse 18. It's all right there. All that the cross means for us. And that is what gives us comfort and confidence when we find ourselves struggling or suffering with our faith. Maybe because of our faith. Maybe in the midst of living out our faith. When we find ourselves in difficult times, remember the cross. I think I have shared this before with our Trinity family here, but when Beth went through her cancer journey year back in 2013, it was definitely a year of suffering and struggle for her. And somebody gave her a little ceramic cross. I have it in my hand and the larger picture up on the screen of this. Nothing particularly special about this, but for Beth it became a very special symbol. 
She kept this little cross, and still does, on the bedside table, right beside the bed. And, and at night, you know how it is when at night, when you can't sleep, and especially if you're sick, and your mind is going to all those terrible places, all those worst-case scenarios, she would reach out, take this cross, and just, just hold on to it. Just hold minded that the cross of Jesus Christ meant that Jesus had taken her place, that he had conquered death, that he was giving her life, that he had gone through that pain but come out on the other side, all that she hoped for represented by that cross that she held in her hand. Her comfort and her confidence, even in suffering. That's the blessing of the cross. When you're going through difficulty, when you're going through suffering, when you are struggling with your faith, remember the cross. Hold tight to the cross. That's our blessing. That's our hope. Verse 18 reminds us of all that Jesus did by going to the cross for us. In the next verse, Peter seems to it seems like he's going off on a little bit of a tangent. This is one of those more difficult translation parts in this passage. But I think if you'll follow the, the reasoning here, you'll understand what Peter is doing. So look at verse 19. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. So just in reading that verse and a half, you're probably a whole bunch of questions like, who are these imprisoned spirits, and when did Jesus go and talk to them, and what did he say to them, and what's going on here? Well, the first thing to know is that this word spirits in verse 19 is often used in other places to refer to angels. It can be used of angels. So it's very possible Peter is talking here, when he talks about imprisoned spirits, he's talking about angels, fallen angels, or demons. And it helps maybe to look at another verse. So we'll put this on the screen. Second Peter. So this is also Peter. It's in the second letter. Chapter 2, verse 4 says, For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment. So there again, he's describing a time when God has taken these, dear specifically angels, who sinned and imprisoning them, chaining them, awaiting for judgment. So it seems that in our 1 Peter 3 passage, Peter is describing fallen angels as these spirits who were active in the day of Noah. Now here's the connection to Noah's day when there was a time of terrible sin and rebellion on earth and God is getting ready to judge the earth. And these angels were actively turning men against him and God puts them in chains to await final judgment. And Jude 6 seems to allude to the same thing. If you want to jot another reference down, that one chapter book, Jude, the verse 6, seems to describe the same thing. Now, I need to explain, too, that another possible interpretation here is that Peter is referring to the spirits of people, of those who lived during the time of Noah, who rejected the message about God and about this impending judgment of the flood, and who died in the flood. And maybe that's who we're referring, Peter's referring to here. Either way, though, Peter is saying 
that Jesus, after his physical death, before his bodily resurrection, he goes and visits this place, this holding place of these imprisoned spirits, whether they be angels or humans or both, and he proclaims something to them. So then the question is, okay, what does he say to them? And some, I think, have misinterpreted this as he's going there to preach as, in, as if he's preaching the gospel to them and giving them a chance to repent again. But that makes no sense with the rest of Scripture. I mean, here we have a verse here, Hebrews 9, 27, where specifically the writer is saying that people are destined to die once and then to face judgment. So this is not a second chance kind of proclamation So what is it then? And most likely, this is Jesus proclaiming His victory over sin, because that's what had just happened at the cross, right? And so even before His resurrection, Jesus goes and He, in the spirit world, proclaims His victory over sin and judgment that is coming on those who have rejected Christ. And specifically, if these are fallen angels, demons, their judgment is now certain because of the cross. I think possibly there's another reference to this that Paul makes in Colossians 2.15. So notice the connection here. Paul says, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, which is another description of demons, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So, Paul is describing this moment where Jesus makes this statement, this public declaration of victory over the forces of evil. So that's our second point today, the blessing of spiritual victory. I think that's what Peter is describing here. He's describing the victory statement, victory parade, if you will, of Jesus. And he makes this point for a very particular reason. So remember who he's writing to. These Christians in Asia Minor We know they were already under persecution for their faith. It was going to get worse, but it was already happening. So what would have been going on in their hearts and their minds? Most likely the same thing that happens to us. When things start to go wrong, start to go bad, and you're thinking, I'm trying to obey, but these bad things are happening to me, we begin to lose faith that there is a victory. They needed the reminder of Jesus' victory at the cross to keep going even in their suffering and their struggle. And I think we need the same thing. We need this reminder that we can have spiritual victory over the forces of evil, over over Satan and his demons because Jesus made that proclamation that he had won. Let me try to put this in in another context for you. Let's let's imagine that we are a basketball team, all right? So I know we've got some basketball players here, Miller over here, Jonathan over here. We're in a basketball game. Let's say it's the end of the game, just seconds left, we're, we're two points up. And the other team gets the ball, throws up this crazy shot from half court, just as the buzzer sounds, and it goes through the net. Now, all of a sudden, it's like, ah, because that's a three-point shot. The other team just beat us by one point. But no, no, wait. There's instant replay. (laughs) There's slow motion. The referee goes over to the sideline and checks, and sure enough, 
The clock hit zero. The buzzer sounded before the ball left the player's hands. It doesn't count. Because the other team can do whatever they want. They can score as many baskets as they want. But once the clock is at zero, nothing else matters. We have the victory. When Jesus died on that cross, the buzzer sounded. Game over. He won. And it doesn't matter what else the enemy does after the clock's run out. Jesus is still victorious, and we are still victorious in him. And that's what Peter is reminding us of here. That's what he's saying in this passage. He's saying, Jesus already made the proclamation of his victory. He even told the spirits in their holding place, imprisoned, that it's over. He's won. So it doesn't matter what the enemy throws at us. He cannot defeat us if we are in Jesus Christ because he is victorious. Now, Peter's not quite done with his side trail, so about Noah, there's more to say. So pick up in the middle of verse 20. In, in it, meaning the ark, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. So, think back through this. Who were the eight saved in the ark? There was Noah and Noah's wife. He had three sons, and they had three wives. That's eight people. And that's it. Out of all the people that existed on earth at that time, nobody else repented. Nobody else was saved. But remember, Noah had been building that ark and telling people and warning people for 120 years. So you talk about an example of suffering for your faith. Have you ever thought about that? Just imagine the kind of ridicule and scorn that must have been coming Noah's way for him and his family as they were building that ark. The scoffing. You believe in God? He's got a What are you talking? What is this rain? There's no flood. Noah, forget it. This is ridiculous. Making fun of his faith. Time after time, day after day, and yet Noah stayed firm. He kept obeying God. He kept building that ark. And when the rain came, only Noah and his family survived. Judgment came on the rest of the world. And so that's why Peter is reminding us of this. He's saying this story of Noah and the flood is a reminder of the way you too have been saved from judgment. And so he makes this comparison to baptism, which is a very visible symbol, representation of our salvation. And so at first glance, you read verse 21, and it can be a little confusing because it sounds like Peter is saying that baptism itself saves us. We know that's not the case from the rest of Scripture. Very clear. So what is Peter saying then? He's reminding us that baptism is this picture of how we are saved from death. That just as Noah and his family were saved from the judgment of God in that flood, we have been saved from the judgment of sin by Jesus. And he affirms baptism is not about a physical cleansing. He says it's not the removal of dirt from the body. He says that's not what we're doing here. 
He says it's about the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. That's what baptism is. So what does he mean? Well, the, the phrase, remember the phrase clear conscience we talked about last week. He, he uses it back in verse 16, talking about the attitude we're to have. When we give our answer about our faith, we're to do it with respect and gentleness. So this pledge that he's talking about here related to baptism is a spiritual commitment that we make to follow Christ and to do it wholeheartedly and in the right attitude regardless of what people throw at us, regardless of what opposition we face. That's the pledge. That's the commitment. And so that's our third blessing here. It's the blessing of spiritual commitment. Peter is saying this is the opportunity that we have to make this pledge, to make this commitment. And baptism is a beautiful picture of it. It's in a sense, it's our way of getting on the ark, as it was for Noah and his family. Even if nobody else gets on. Saying, I am making that commitment. I am following God. I'm going to be obedient to Him. So think about baptism itself as this symbol for just a minute. When, when you go into the water for baptism, you go into the water, under the water, you come up out of the water it's a picture essentially like what happened to Noah and his family. They went into the ark. They went through the flood. It's not that there was no judgment, no flood. It came, but they were saved through it. In baptism, you go in the water, but you come up out of it. In the same way that Jesus went into death, into the tomb, but came out of the tomb, which is always why we say when we baptize people, we say buried with him in his death, raised with him in newness of life. You come out of the water just like Jesus came out of the tomb. And that's why Peter's saying this, this beautiful picture of your salvation. But he makes sure, just to make sure, he says in verse 21, that, that we know the source of our salvation. He says it saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. It's only because of that, because of Christ's death and resurrection. That's what saves us from sin. That's what enables us to keep our commitment to God even when persecution comes at us. I have a, a pastor friend who, who, after he was saved, he, he neglected getting baptized, various reasons why he did not get baptized right away. But he started getting involved in his church, started growing and, and serving but he never got baptized. And he actually moved into a point of leadership in his church. I think a lot of other people just assumed that he'd been baptized at some point earlier on, but he knew in his heart he never had. And then he was faced, as he, he tells in his testimony, he was embarrassed that now he's a leader of a church, but he had never been baptized and declared his, his commitment to Christ publicly. And then he avoided it even more because of that embarrassment until finally God convicted him, said, if you are going to encourage others to make their faith public through baptism, then you need to do it yourself. And he did. See, baptism allows us that privilege of making our faith public. That's walking on the ark, even if everybody else around is laughing. It's the pledge of a good conscience. So I want to say to you this morning, just in a very personal way, if you've never been baptized, maybe you're in a similar boat to my friend. Maybe you've been saved, known the Lord for a long time, but you've never made that public. I encourage you to do that. 
Don't worry about the embarrassment. Don't worry about what other people think. It doesn't matter. This is your pledge of a good conscience, and it's public, and it's a way that you say, Jesus has saved me, and I owe my life to him, and I want everybody to know that. And I'd urge you to consider that. Talk to me. Talk to Pastor Jason. You may not even know this little piece of furniture up here, this box and right under the cross, it's not just a holder for, for flower arrangements and candles. It's a baptismal tank. We roll it right out here, we fill it with water, and we would love that privilege of letting you publicly confess your commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Please talk to us if you've never taken that step. I think Peter is encouraging that right in this passage. And he closes with this beautiful description of Christ's glory in heaven. So a great, it's a fitting end to where he's gone with this. Verse 22, who has gone into heaven, speaking of Jesus, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. So Peter, just to kind of wrap up all that he's been saying, that Christ, all this, these last verses talking about submission, he's saying Jesus submitted to the will of the Father. He was rejected. He was scorned by his own people. He died a criminal's death And he was buried in a borrowed tomb. But he didn't stay there. Jesus rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. And now, Peter says, he sits at the right hand of the Father. And the Father has put in subjection to him all authorities, all powers, all angels, all demons, all governments, everything, everyone is in subjection to him. Under his feet. The one who submitted himself now has all of creation in submission to him. That's the blessing of exaltation. It's our final blessing this morning. So why does Peter remind us of this? Why why does he remind us of the glorification, the exaltation of Jesus? Because he wants to show us the end. He wants to show us where Jesus is now, that he is victorious over all and will be at the end as well and that we have that hope too. Because of Jesus. That's our future too. So he's showing us that those who put their faith in Christ, who persevere in following him and obeying him, have that victory to look forward to. That one day God will glorify us and bring us to heaven at his right side as well. That glory is coming, that victory is sure, that heaven awaits us. You are being held by the one who holds the universe together. That's amazing. And when evil comes against you, you can know the end of the story. It doesn't end there with whatever trouble or suffering that you go through. It ends with exaltation and glorification. That's the ending. Have you ever been reading a a good book and, and you just, that temptation to go and see the very end. I see some of you pointing to other people beside you. Some of you, yes. I won't, I won't make you confess that you read the end of the book before, before you get to it. I, I don't like to do that. I don't like to go to the end of the book, although occasionally I'm tempted to just glance at those last pages just to see if the hero's name appears. Does he or she make it to the end? Well, I'll tell you what. You look at the last pages of the Bible, and Jesus' name is there. He's there at the end, glorified and victorious. That's the end of the story. And Peter is reminding us of that. Don't forget, 
All things are in subjection to Jesus. Every knee will bow, as Paul says it. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. So we come to this end, and you may be thinking, well, you know, all that's, that's good for those people that Peter was writing to. Yeah, they were suffering for their faith. They were being persecuted for their faith. They needed that encouragement. But we don't really go through that here and now. It's not, that's not the experience of Christians nowadays in our world. We have freedom to worship, and, and we can live out our faith, and it's not that hard. I want to read you part of a letter, that, an email that we received just this week, just this past Thursday, from one of our ministry partners, Pastor Slava, who pastors a church in Belarus, in Minsk, where there's been a lot of turmoil and upheaval in that city, in that country over these, this past week or two. I want you to hear from him about what's happening in that country. Just a few paragraphs from this letter, this email that came just this week. By the way, this is the church and this is the pastor that we partnered with last summer right? when we sent a missions team to Poland. And we ministered there in that English camp. Pastor Slav and his wife came here just about a year ago. Last August, they were here. Some of you were here and heard their testimony. This is him. He said, I would like to share with you the latest news from the life of our church and our country. Our country got into political crisis that led to an economic downfall. And after Unfair elections and cruel treatment of peaceful protesters, which included torture and severe beatings of the arrested, about 7,000 people, six have died. Some of them were killed by bullets, some of them were tortured to death. Nowadays, it is not safe to live in our country. After the riots, I was a volunteer next to the prison in Ocristino, where the arrested were released and I could talk to them. All of them shared horrific stories of what happened to people in that place. A lot of them were standing there to get their belongings that had been taken from them. Almost all of them had bruises and signs of beatings on their bodies. Quite a few of these people could not find their things and their valuables. And some of them are planning to leave the country. This situation in our country is a great challenge for churches and ministers. Church leaders are being threatened, not just generally by the president, but by personal phone calls and emails as well. We are trying to figure out how to share God's good news with people and be the light in this darkness. He closes the email saying, pray for our church to be able to use this opportunity to share Jesus, to encourage and comfort those who suffered psychological and physical trauma. We are thankful that you are thinking and praying for us, helping us in our need. We really need your prayers right now. It's this week from a pastor in another part of our world that's being torn up where Christians are being persecuted for their faith. And it's not the only place. See, Satan has been defeated. But he still continues to wreak havoc in our world. We know that. We can see that. And he is going to target and will continue to target those who love and follow Jesus Christ. We know that too. So in the midst of this, in this environment, with this possibility, knowing that you may go through difficulties and struggles because you follow Jesus, don't forget who won the victory. 
Don't forget the blessing of the cross. Don't forget the commitment that you've made to follow him. And don't forget that the end of the game is already written. It's already done. Never forget that your victory is in Jesus Christ and in him alone. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you at the end of this passage and we, we just have to say thank you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for taking our place. Thank you for winning the victory, proclaiming the victory. Thank you for calling us and inviting us to follow you to make that pledge of commitment to live in you and be covered by your sacrifice for us. And thank you that you have shown us the end game. You've shown us that victory is assured in you. So, Lord, I pray that this morning we would respond to you as our wonderful, merciful Savior, that we would place ourselves under you, in you, following you, committed to you, no matter what comes our way. And that always, always we would remember the cross and remember you, our Savior. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.